is an audio platform created to educate, inform, and empower women to take charge of their physical and mental health. Join Shalana Battle and her occasional guests as they discuss many issues and health topics that concern women. While many health tips and advice will be discussed on this platform by licensed professionals, it should not take the place of seeking help from your own physician or therapist. If you feel that you need professional advice or medical assistance, do not hesitate to contact your provider. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Eavesdrop. I am your host, Shalana Battle. Today's episode will be the How Well Do You Know Your Vagina segment. So here's the thing, everyone seems to be talking about vaginas and vaginal health these days. From celebrities, bloggers, gossip columnists, TV commercials, and everyone in between. And with all this information out there, I feel that it's becoming more difficult for women to sift through it all and really grasp a clear understanding of the do's and don'ts of having a vagina which is the reason why I chose to do the How Well Do You Know Your Vagina segments. During these segments, I will discuss common concerns most women have about their vaginal health. I will aim to answer common questions and clear up myths that you may have come across on Google and that good old-fashioned WebMD. No shade. So sit back, grab your notebook and a pen, and let's find out what you did or didn't already know. your lady parts hi there and welcome to another episode of the eavesdrop i am your host dr shalana battle So with today's episode, I decided to do a how well do you know your vagina segment. Now, for those of you who are brand new to the show or just started listening recently, this might be very new to you and you might be wondering, okay, what is this segment all about? And those of you who have been with me since day one, this is an oldie but goodie. So for those of you who do not know what this segment is all about. I started out doing a how well do you know your vagina segment once a month. And the purpose of this segment was to answer some of the questions or bring up some of the topics that women have about their vulva and their vagina that they may be a little bit too embarrassed to ask or they may be asking the questions but they're not receiving appropriate answers. I also wanted to take away the stigma that society has placed on women with talking about their lady parts. I wanted to make the conversation a little bit more comfortable and normal, you know, for women to be able to talk about these things. And then I wanted to address the misinformation that is out there that women may have received from online sources, from television shows and commercials and anything that society has placed out there that might be misleading. And of course, so many of you have been in my inbox, have emailed me and been asking me, when are we gonna do another How Well Do You Know Your Vagina segment? And I just kept putting it off. And so 
I said, you know what? This is a perfect month to do it. So I hope that you enjoy and that you are enlightened by today's topic. Now, this topic today was inspired by a discussion post that I saw on Reddit. Now, while reviewing Reddit, I came across a question that I thought was so important to address. And for those of you who don't know, Reddit is like a huge discussion board or forum where people can create discussions about topics that interest them. So you can find discussions about food, discussions about traveling, music, movies, you name it you can find it on Reddit. And so, of course, I follow a forum about women's health and I came across a question on there about vulvodynia. And as I was reading this question, I was like, you know what? My next episode needs to be about this topic because this is a topic that is becoming a little bit more common than we are really talking about. And the person who posted... Um, this question, I could really feel their frustration. And so I wanted to read the the question and then we're going to have a discussion about vulvodynia. So the title of the post was vulvodynia. My girlfriend seems to suffer from it and she's at her wit's end. Can anyone offer any advice or insight into this strange condition. And so I'm going to read the entire question because I feel like if I summarize it, I'm not going to give this question any justice. So the question reads, my girlfriend and I have been together having sex for eight months now. This condition didn't seem to show itself immediately, but it certainly didn't take very long. Probably within the four to six weeks, she started feeling the pain and irritation. She found it fairly odd that it was occurring, but brushed it off for quite some time. She'd experienced some form of vaginal pain in the past, but usually just from lack of lubrication or long sessions. When the pain became chronic and more significant, she began to take it more seriously and went to see her doctor. At first, the doctor recommended using a certain ointment or cream. I really wish I had the name of it. But while she was using this cream, we abstained from sex for a few days. And when we started again, the pain seemed to have disappeared, which was great. Sadly, as we started having sex more regularly, the burning, sharp pain returned. We are still able to have sex maybe three times a week, but the pain is never completely gone. Fortunately, the sex is still great but I hate seeing the discomfort on her face as I penetrate her. She always insists we continue and she can even still achieve an orgasm, but it's far from perfect. She was then put on a medication and pill form, but that doesn't seem to have helped her at all either. We both have high sex drives and this is really straining on us. I'm honestly more concerned with how this is affecting her emotionally. She feels broken and hates that she can't give me sex regularly. As I said, we both have high sex drives, so she also hates that she can't satisfy her own hunger for sex. I assure her it's not upsetting to me and try and keep her spirits up, but it's really getting her down. 
Thankfully, we still have great oral play and have recently started anal, which is a first for both of us. Now, I'll leave it at that for now. I'd really appreciate any feedback at all on this. She's scheduled to see her doctor again next week, and we're desperate for a solution. I should note that we're both tested and free of any sexually transmitted infections, and we've confirmed that she doesn't have a yeast infection. First of all, can we just give this man his props for being so transparent and so descriptive <laughs> and for trying to help his girlfriend find a solution to her problem. Let's give it up for him. But in all seriousness, vulvodynia and vestibulodynia, and we will re refer to that vestibulodynia as VBD, both of these conditions can be very challenging, not only for the woman experiencing it, but it can be frustrating for her partner as well. And because men do not really have a full understanding of feminine issues, it's really hard for them to be understanding and, and also patient. So it's always great to see men advocating for their girlfriends and their wives in this way. And it's always great to see them trying to gain a better understanding of what might be ailing their significant other. So by now, some of you who are listening may have heard the word vulvodynia and vestibulodynia. And you might be wondering, what the heck is that? right? <laughs> so we'll talk about vulvodynia first. So vulvodynia is a chronic generalized pain that is located on the vulva. So the vulva is anything on the outside of the genitalia. This includes the labia majora, which is the larger labia or the larger lips. It includes the labia minora, the smaller lips, and the clitoris, the introitus, which is the opening of the vagina, and the remaining parts of the vestibule. And if you need more clarity on these parts, you may go back to season one, and I believe it is the third How Well Do You Know Your Vagina segment where we talked about the different parts of the female genitalia. But for this presentation, what you need to know about vulvodynia is that the pain is usually located on some part of the vulva, which is the outer portion of the female genitalia. Now, the pain is usually spontaneous and it occurs without warning. The location, how long the pain lasts, and how severe the pain is varies among women. Some women experience pain in only one area of the vulva, while others experience pain in multiple areas. Women who experience the pain only on the clitoris may have a condition called clitoridemia, which is a localized form of vulvodynia. Now for simplicity, of this podcast episode, we're only going to be talking about vulvodynia and vestibulodynia. 
Now, vestibulodynia, also known as VBD, is a condition in which there is vulva pain that is usually triggered by touching. So women with VBD usually experience severe discomfort with simple things like wearing underwear or wearing pants. Inserting tampons might be extremely uncomfortable. Pap smears are unbearable and sexual activity is very uncomfortable. So with VBD, anything that comes in contact with the vulva may cause severe discomfort. Both of these conditions, vestibulodynia and VBD, are generally overlapped and can be easily misdiagnosed. So it is very important to have a clear understanding of both of them. So to recap, Vulvodynia is pain that is spontaneous pain that occurs in the vulva. Spontaneous means that it can occur without any type of stimuli. VBD is a condition where the pain is elicited by a stimuli, such as wearing underwear or someone touching the area or trying to have sex. And it's also important to know that a woman can have both of these conditions at the same time. So it's not a condition where if you have one, you can't have the other. A woman can have both of them at the same time. Now let's review the prevalence of VBD and vulvodynia. Research has shown that at least 16% of women in the United States suffer from these conditions at some point in their lives. And of course, I believe that this percentage could be very well higher than what is documented because there are so many women who might be living in silence or they just may not have been properly diagnosed yet. And to prove my point, there is a wonderful book by Dr. Elizabeth G. Stewart and Paula Spencer titled the V book. And I love this book and it is my go-to and I really encourage you all to pick up the book if you want to learn more about your vaginal health. And it's just a wealth of knowledge. And the book is by Dr. Elizabeth G. Stewart and Paula Spencer. And it is my dream to actually have them on the show someday. So ladies, if you are listening, please hit me up, email me. This is my public invitation to you to be on the eavesdrop. (laughs) But anyway, an excerpt from the book says, quote, There are many more women than most doctors have traditionally believed, probably because for so long, this problem was not recognized as a specific syndrome. According to one survey, at least 200,000 women in the United States have significant vulva discomfort that greatly reduces their quality of life but the actual numbers of vulvodynia are probably higher and rising. That statement proves that this condition was once thought to be rare, but it is now becoming just as common as yeast infections and different types of vaginitis. 
Therefore, I believe that every clinician who practices in women's health must include vulvodynia and VBD in their list of possible diagnoses when they care for women with a complaint of vaginal pain or chronic vaginitis. So that way, this situation is not missed. Another thing that I wanted to add is that these conditions were once thought to only affect middle-aged white women. But according to the National Vulvodynia Association, vulvodynia and VBD occur in women of all ages, even adolescents. And it is prevalent in women of all races, religions, and ethnic backgrounds. Some other alarming statistics that I came across was that one in four women, and that is 40% of women in the United States, suffer with sexual pain and sexual dysfunction. I also read that the lifetime prevalence of vulvodynia has been reported as high as 28% in the adult population. And 45% of women with vulvodynia pain reported an adverse effect on their sexual life and 27% reported an adverse effect on their lifestyle. So this is a condition that can cause a significant disruption of life and it is happening more commonly than we are talking about it. So you might be wondering, well, what causes vulvodynia and what causes VBD? The truth is, Clinicians do not know why these conditions occur because it was not until 1983 that we had a name for the symptoms women were experiencing. And it wasn't until August of 2000 that funds were actually allocated for research. And now with more research being conducted, clinicians are learning more about the cause of vulvodynia and VBD. But the knowledge about it is still limited. So I'm going to go over some of the possible causes that they have speculated so far. Their first cause is inflammation. So a woman who has had chronic yeast infections or conditions such as lichen sclerosis or atrophic vaginitis are at a higher risk to developing vulvodynia because these conditions cause chronic inflammation of the vulva. Another suspected cause is injury to nerves in the area where the pain is located. Hormonal factors have also been looked at as a possible cause. Now I wanted to review hormonal factors for a second. Not much research has really been done on how hormones play a role in vulvodynia and VBD, but there was one study conducted that found a significant connection between early contraceptive use and the development of vulvodynia. And this finding suggests that hormones may play a role in the development of vulvodynia. Another indication that hormones play a role is that there are some women who present with symptoms or only complain about their symptoms at the start of their period. And during this time in the menstrual cycle, when the period started, estrogen levels are at its lowest. So with this observation, they are thinking that low levels of estrogen may play a role in the development of vulvodynia. Another suspected cause is oxalate. 
And for those of you who do not know what oxalate is, oxalate is a natural chemical that is widely found in many, many food sources. So it is found in fruit, green leafy vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, sweet potato and star fruit, Swiss chard and, and beet greens. So it's found in a lot of healthy food sources. But too much of oxalate can cause kidney stones and research has shown that reducing oxalate intake may help lessen symptoms of vulvodynia and VBD. Although it isn't clear, research has demonstrated that a diet high in oxalate can aggravate these conditions. So it's usually recommended that women lower their intake of oxalate to help control their symptoms. Other conditions include mus musculoskeletal problems, mainly musculoskeletal problems that involve the pelvic floor. And most women who have vulvodynia or VBD also suffer from other common pain syndromes, such as fibromyalgia or phantom pain. Now, although there are many possible causes of vulvodynia and VBD, one of the leading theories concerns a glitch in the central nervous system. The theory suggests that nerve endings don't work well and messages between the brain and the nerve endings that surround the vulva become very confused. And so this causes touching to be very painful and burning might occur for no reason at all. Now, I will say that the lack of understanding of vulvodynia and VBD can be very disheartening for both the woman and the clinician. So understanding signs and symptoms may empower the woman to be able to advocate for herself and to seek the appropriate care. It will also help healthcare providers to readily identify and correctly diagnose women who are suffering from this condition. So let's review the signs and symptoms of vulvodynia and VBD. The signs and symptoms of vulvodynia include vulvar itching, burning, soreness, stinging, rawness-like sensation in the vulva, and painful intercourse. The pain may be constant or it may be intermittent. The pain may be felt all over the vulva and it may be felt only in specific areas, like in different spots. The most common area is the introitus or the opening of the vagina and the clitoris. Now, some of you might be wondering, how can you differentiate this from a vaginal infection? So I'm glad you asked because that is an awesome question. Most of the time when women have a vaginal infection, there are visual and apparent signs of it. You might notice redness. You might notice swelling of the labia. There may be a discharge or a vaginal odor. And there are usually positive vaginal culture results. Another thing is that when you treat vaginal infections, it usually resolves and it may not reoccur for a very long time. When women have vulvodynia, the symptoms are present, but when the clinician does an examination, nothing looks unusual other than some redness. And if vaginal cultures are collected, the results are usually negative. And if medication is given, the woman does not have relief of her symptoms. Now, VBD has similar symptoms. But as we mentioned before, 
The pain occurs when pressure or stimulus is applied to the affected area. Women with VBD often complain that putting in a tampon is unbearable or they may have always had to rely on pads. Another thing is that pelvic and vaginal examinations are intolerable because of the discomfort. Most women with VBD have difficulty with sex. Penetration during intercourse causes such pain that women have to stop. They have to limit their sexual activity or avoid sex altogether. Tight clothes or even washing during a bath or a shower, something that is supposed to be considered self-care and relaxing, can be very painful for a woman with VBD. Or just wiping after using the toilet can cause pain. Some sport activities such as bike riding may also cause significant pain. The V-Book has mentioned several clues that all women should be aware of and that might indicate that they have vulvodynia or VBD. And these clues include being able to say the following. I have never been able to use a tampon because it hurts. The doctor needs to use the smallest speculum on me. And the speculum is the instrument that we usually use to do pap smears. Sex is painful. My doctor says I need to relax more. I'm always told I have a yeast infection, but the creams don't work. I had a baby months ago, but the episiotomy still hurts. I am very small down there, and it's just too tight. Sex has been painful since menopause, and even with estrogen cream, I am not comfortable. Now, of course, the signs and symptoms that are related to vulvodynia and VBD can have many other causes, but because of how common this condition is becoming, it should always be on the list of common possible diagnoses until it is ruled out. Which brings me to the topic of how these conditions can be diagnosed. Vulvodynia is often a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that it usually is diagnosed once other things have been ruled out, such as infections, vulva cancer, and skin conditions. So a woman with vulvodynia may go through vaginal cultures, she might go through vulva biopsies and colposcopies before a diagnosis of vulvodynia is finally made. This process can be very frustrating and very disheartening for women because they are spending a lot of money and resources and not really finding answers. Another thing is, is that the diagnostic process can be especially problematic for women who lack health insurance because they may not have the resources to continue seeking care to exclude all of these possible causes. And the discomfort with these examinations is another barrier that might cause women to give up on finding a cure. Now, VBD has more of a point of reference when diagnosing the condition. With VBD, there is a screening process called Frederick's criteria. And with Frederick's criteria, there are three different variables that we look for. The first variable is severe pain when the vulva is touched 
or attempted vaginal entry, meaning there's severe pain with inserting a tampon, severe pain with penetration with a penis or a dildo, whatever it is, there is unusual pain. The second variable is there's tenderness when there is light pressure applied with a Q-tip. So you spread the labia and you put a Q-tip in different areas of the vulva vestibule and if the woman has pain, she is positive for that second variable. The third variable is various degrees of redness in the vestibule with no other signs of any other problems. There is no signs of any other chronic vaginitis, but the woman has redness in that area. Now, all of these symptoms must have been present for over six months and the tenderness should be moderate to severe of intensity. Because some of these criteria can be very subjective, it's very important that the clinician takes a thorough history and really, really dive into what the woman has been experiencing over time. Now, if a woman has these symptoms, then she could be very well diagnosed with VBD. Another test is the swab test. Now, this test is performed by using a cotton swab and you apply gentle pressure to various vulva sites and you ask the patient to rate the severity of the pain. The areas with tenderness and pain might be further examined with a magnifying instrument or tissue sample might be taken for a biopsy to rule out other conditions. Now, once vulvodynia and VBD is identified, here are some possible therapy options. The first option is definitely diet modification. As we mentioned earlier, oxalate is a natural chemical that is found in green leafy vegetables, legumes, fruit, and nuts. And high levels of oxalate in the system has been shown to be associated with vulvodynia and VBD and reducing or eliminating some of these foods that are high in oxalate from the diet has been associated with a relief and symptoms. Now, before you go changing up your diet, be sure that you talk to your doctor for guidance. And the second option, and which has been a popular form of therapy, is tricyclic antidepressants or serotonin reuptake inhibitors, also known as SSRIs. These two classes of antidepressants have been shown in research to provide relief of symptoms. And clinicians are not yet completely sure about the mechanism of action and how these drugs work. But one theory is that antidepressants improve depression by increasing levels of certain brain chemicals. Now, the buildup of these same chemicals in the brain is part of the way drugs help pain. Another option is an anti-seizure medication known as gabapentin. It is usually best to help treat vulvodynia and VBD because it is great for nerve injury pain. And remember, vulvodynia and VBD are both thought to occur because of significant nerve injury. 
Gallopentin is also preferred because it has fewer side effects than other anti-seizure medications and it does not require blood levels to be monitored like Dilantin or Tegretol. Another option is physical therapy and biofeedback. Physical therapy or pelvic floor rehabilitation is another option for treating vulvodynia. This type of therapy can relax tissues in the pelvic floor and release tension in the muscles and joints. Biofeedback is a form of physical therapy that trains you to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles. And as you strengthen the pelvic floor muscles, this helps to lessen the pain. Another option of therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy might be suggested if you have vulvodynia because a counselor can help you learn to cope with chronic pain using cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. These techniques might help reduce stress. It can help you feel more in control of your symptoms. A therapist might suggest having a sexual counselor that can, or a sex therapist that can provide support and education about this condition for the woman and her partner. Last but not least, surgical intervention is one of the most effective forms of therapy for VBD. However, it is the most invasive. So conservative methods are usually preferred first. So if a woman decides to have surgery, she will undergo a procedure called a vestibulectomy. And a vestibulectomy involves surgically removing a strip of tissue in the vestibule between the inner lips. And this tissue is removed because it is believed to contain the hypersensitive nerve endings that cause the pain of VBD. And this method has been shown to be effective. When research, it worked in 6 out of 10 women who have undergone this procedure. So 60% of women usually will get relief after they have this type of surgical procedure. Finally, if you have VVD or vulvodynia, these are the recommendations. Be sure to research and become knowledgeable about this issue. Unfortunately, doctors are still learning about it and not all doctors are well-versed on this condition or know much about it or may not even consider it as a condition. So the more that you know, the more that you research, the more empowered you will be to find the help that you need. A few reputable sources that I recommend include the V-Book by Dr. Elizabeth G. Stewart and Paula Spencer. Other books include Sex Matters for Women by Sally Foley, Sally Cope, Dennis Surge. The second book is The Vulvodynia Survival Guide, How to Overcome Painful Vaginal Symptoms and Enjoy an Active Lifestyle by Dr. Howard Glazer and Dr. Gay Rodkey. And the last book is Completely Overcome Vaginismus, The Practical Approach to Pain-Free Intercourse by Mark and Lisa Carter. Another excellent source is the National Vulvodynia Association website. 
You can review the latest studies on the condition. You can find additional resources and support groups on the website, and you can find a list of providers who specialize in the condition. Next, you wanna make sure that you find a support group. I find that support groups really help women find other sources. Like you can find other sources and look into what other women are doing in order to achieve relief of their pain. Another thing is I feel that women going through this need a community. You need people who understand what it is that you are going through. There's nothing like being told there's nothing wrong with you when there is something wrong. And I feel like being part of a community where you have other women who are going through the same thing will prevent you from feeling gaslit. It will prevent you from feeling like it's all in your head. So having that community and being a part of women who are walking in the same shoes you are is very, very important. So make sure you find a support group, a supportive support group. And I believe on the National Volvedinia Association website, they have a lot of different support groups that are listed that can be in person and both virtual. So definitely do your research and Facebook may have groups as well. So definitely look into social media. Next, you want to determine what are your triggers and avoid them especially in any conditions that may cause inflammation, including yeast infections, lichen sclerosis, and atrophic vaginitis. You want to avoid all possible vaginal irritants, such as sprays, scented soaps, and bubble baths. Using daily topical estrogen has been helpful, so definitely talk to your doctor about using an estrogen cream. Find a pelvic floor rehabilitation center in your area. I will leave a website in the show notes that will help you locate a center near you. You want to talk to your doctor about all the possible treatments, such as the antidepressants we talked about earlier, and the anticonvulsants, and the pelvic floor therapy, and changing your diet. Talk to your doctor about all those things that you've learned today. Finally, Vulvodynia and VBD are both life-altering conditions and may cause severe stress and anxiety and depression. So having a good therapist on hand along with your support group will be helpful in assisting you to sustain or take control over your mental health during your journey. Before we end the podcast today, I wanted to play a woman's journey with vulvodynia. I strongly believe that listening to the stories and experiences of others is beneficial. First, it provides support because you don't feel alone in your journey. And secondly, you might hear some jewels that may help you along your journey with this condition. So listen up and take notes. So today is gonna get really personal. When I was about 19, I woke up one morning and things just weren't right. I went to a walk-in clinic because I was experiencing some pretty severe pain in my vagina, burning. I just felt awful. And the doctor I saw told me I had a yeast infection, gave me a prescription and sent me on my way. And that's what kicked off my journey. 
I took the prescription, things cleared up for a bit, and then the next time I tried to have sex, I wound up with the same symptoms. Burning, pain, redness, just feeling raw all over. I then went to see doctor after doctor. I got referrals to gynecologists, dermatologists, internal medicine guys. Every month it was just a nightmare. For the better part of 10 years, I battled what I assumed were chronic and recurrent yeast infections. Over and over again, I would just sit in my doctor's office in tears, begging them to tell me why this was happening to me. In my mind, it didn't make sense why an otherwise perfectly healthy woman in her 20s was in the doctor's office sometimes twice a month for years. Before I was diagnosed, um, I spent every night researching anything I could find, and this went on for a really long time. I reached out to anyone I could find on the internet to ask them about chronic infections, yeast, pH, bacteria, hormones, you name it. I even tried to get myself um, enrolled into a clinical trial doing research on women who suffered from recurrent vaginitis because I had no idea what was going on. It's actually kind of hard for me to talk about this sometimes because I think that medical conditions that can't be seen or necessarily discussed properly are often overlooked or ignored by the medical community and not taken seriously. Anyways, after a few years without answers, I became very anxious. I think what I was experiencing was a low-grade depression. My relationships with boyfriends suffered. I stopped having sex for long periods of time because I was so afraid of the pain. I was really tired all the time. Now, also at this time, I tried a lot of treatments. Some were really good, some were really bad, but I felt like I still wasn't getting the answers that I wanted. I knew deep down that something was wrong with me, and I was just told, you know, some women have to deal with this forever, which is pretty lame, right? I know how devastating this process is for women, how scary it is, and how alone you feel. Why can't I be normal? Why can't I be okay? And then you feel guilty for feeling that way because you let it take over so much of your brain power, your thoughts and emotions and your daily activities. I could accept what was happening to me, but not why it was happening to me. I was tested for diabetes, lupus, HIV, every STI, bowel issues, blood sugar issues, autoimmune diseases, you name it. Everything came back negative. Fast forward to about five years ago, I actually met with a naturopath who specialized in women's health, and she was one of the first people to give me a different perspective on what was going on. She said sometimes women suffer recurrent infections or infection-like symptoms because they have too much estrogen. We know this because of estrogen dominance, and we sometimes see this in the case of women who take birth control pills. But sometimes in rare cases, she said women can have too little estrogen or a relative estrogen deficiency. Now, women have estrogen receptors all over our body, and if the vaginal tissue doesn't receive enough estrogen or the estrogen receptors in the vaginal tissue are weak, 
the cells can't mature properly and the lining of the vagina becomes frail and easily traumatized. So things like friction from sex or changes throughout the menstrual cycle really can trigger pH imbalances and allow things like yeast and bacteria to grow. The thing that no one really tells you is that birth control can also turn off these receptors and in some women they don't really ever turn back on and depending on what type of birth control you're on can also have um, a bigger effect on estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And we really can't forget about testosterone here. It's really important. My vagina had basically become uh, menopausal in a sense because it wasn't getting enough hormonal support. Anyways, this cycle of pain on and off compiled with what I thought were still recurrent infections continued for a long time. It wasn't until I was on vacation in Italy that things got extremely bad. I woke up with pain one morning that didn't go away. I treated myself for an infection and that only made things worse. I, I felt like things got progressively so bad in the months following that I couldn't sit down, I couldn't wear underwear, and no doctor could tell me why it was happening. The only answers I could get were, we have no idea. They gave me gabapentin for nerve pain, a numbing cream for when I tried to have sex, and an antidepressant, so I didn't have to obsess about it anymore. In case you're wondering, I promise this story gets better. Since then, I've been fortunate enough to meet gynecologists in Arizona, Seattle, New York, Washington, and I'm happy to say that there is a light at the end of all of this. Vaginas are really tricky. There is no magical formula that works for any one woman, but we can't give up. There are a lot of good treatments and a lot of good medications and lifestyle changes that we can make that allow these things to be managed. This year was the best year of my life. I had sex without pain for the first time and I'm 31 years old. I managed to meet one of the top guys in vulvovaginal disorders in DC this year. And let me just say the testing has evolved a lot over the last 10 years. I am so happy to see that there are people out there doing research, developing studies, and looking into this condition. I had heard of vulvodynia before. I knew what it was, but I didn't really have all of the typical symptoms, but it was the first time I had really started to look into pelvic floor disorders. Many doctors don't know what caused vulvodynia issues. It's sort of a blanket term for a lot of things. There are congenital reasons you could have vulvodynia. You could have noticed it come up during puberty. Um, there can also be acquired reasons. There's provoked and unprovoked vulvodynia. There's women who have had the pain as long as they can remember. And there's also women who can remember very specific times in their life that seem to trigger the onset. Anyways, I had a hormone issue that caused vestibulitis 
and pelvic floor dysfunction from years of tight muscles. I had no idea that hormones could be so wild, and I finally had an answer for why this happened to me and what I could start to do to manage the symptoms. Now, <laughs> I've been going on for a while now, but I just want to end by saying that the vagina is really the most intimate part of a woman's body. Our sense of self as a human is so interconnected to that part. There's a really big mental aspect to women's vaginal health, and many of these issues affect women on so many levels, not just physically. So I hope that this provides a little context for those that are interested. Obviously, I'm fascinated um, by the space and how women's health is evolving, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you along the journey. I'm also sending my love to any woman out there whose vaginas are hurting right now. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Eavesdrop. And as always, I hope that you learned something new. Listen, before you go, I just want to leave you with this quote. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will also change. I am a true believer that everything we go through in life is truly influenced by perspective. So always strive to see the positive in every situation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Try to see the positive out of all circumstances. And remember this as you go throughout your week. Now, I wanted to announce, I will be doing a Q&A session during our next podcast episode. So I would like to invite you to submit any questions that you would like answered during next week's podcast. Remember, your questions will be read anonymously and you may submit your questions by visiting the website at www.theeavesdroppodcast.com. Questions that are submitted through the website will allow you to be able to submit them without your name attached. If you would like to ask your question anonymously, try to send the message through the website. You may also visit Instagram or Facebook and click the link in my bio to access the website. I look forward to answering your questions. And if you are enjoying the eavesdrop, be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and tell the show about others. You may follow the eavesdrop on Instagram. And now we are on Facebook. Yes, we are now on Facebook, so be sure to follow up on the social media platforms. You may also subscribe to the newsletter on the website at www.theeavesdroppodcast.com. And if you would like to suggest a show topic, or if you have a question, be sure to reach out on the website or email me at drshortabattle at gmail.com. Well, thanks for listening. And until the next episode, be well, be whole, and be blessed. Bye.